will stand up in this vessel of clay. They'll speak your word one more time, and it's in the wonderful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Now we give God all things, praise, honor, and glory. Amen. Thank God for all of our leaders, amen, deacons, ministers, first lady, all of our ministry leaders, and the entire Great Commission family, those who are watching, uh, even online. God bless you. Come on in the house, amen. Let them come on in, amen. We're all talking, amen. Lord, come on in. Let's just let those doors open at this time, amen. Thank God for all of our guests, amen, and all of our candidates who are running for office. We thank God for you all, amen. This week she told me she was coming to worship me, and I didn't know it would be on today, but it's good to see you. Amen. Listen, if you didn't take advantage of early voting like, like I did, amen, let me encourage you, amen, to make sure Tuesday you get out and vote. Don't be one of those people who say my vote doesn't make a difference, that's why I don't go. Amen. It does make a difference, so let me encourage you to get out and Amen. I won't tell you who to vote for. I just tell you to make a wise decision. Amen. Amen. A wise decision. Amen. A wise decision. Amen. Amen. Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. Thank God for our music ministry, all of us who are serving on today. Thank you so much. Amen. Truly, God is good. Let me apologize for those of you who showed up last Sunday at 8 a.m. Amen. When we only had the unity worship at 1030. Every fourth Sunday, we will have that unity worship at 1030. We will not have 8 a.m. worship on the fourth Sunday. So I apologize that I did not communicate that to you all in such a way. Amen. Uh, that allowed you to come or show up last Sunday. So I must apologize. Amen. So I'll tell you later, next fourth Sunday. Be at 10.30. Actually, 9 o'clock for the live groups. Amen. Daniel chapter 4. Amen. Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. Beginning there with verse number 29. Amen. Verse 29. Amen. You'll find these words. Daniel chapter, chapter 4. Verse 29. At the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled in Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men did eat grass and his oxen and his body was wet with dew with the dew of heaven till his hairs were grown like eagles feathers and his nails like birds claws at the end of the days I Nebuchadnezzar lifted up mine eyes unto heaven 
mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. Amen. We're going to conclude our reading right there with verse number 34, but I'm going to preach on down to verse number 37. Look at your neighbor. Look at him just one time and say, neighbor. Neighbor. Sure is good to see you. Sure is good to see you. Now with the help of God. Now with the help of God. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And our prayers. And our prayers. During this March Madness. During this March Madness. Our pastor is going to preach about it. Our pastor is going to preach about it. A mad king. A mad king. king that had lost his mind. Yes, he must have been mad to ignore the warning that God sent to him in a dream. And then Daniel shared with the king the revelation that God sent his way, his king. He had this dream. He said he dreamt this dream and he was afraid of what he saw in his dream. So he calls in his magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers, and he told them feel the dream, but they could not interpret the dream that the king had. So he calls for Daniel because he knew Daniel had this relationship with God. And Daniel had this relationship with God where he communicated with God. And so the king knew that. So he called Daniel in and he asked Daniel to share with him what this dream meant. And it was Daniel who shared with the king what God was trying to say to him. And Daniel concluded by exhorting the king to renounce from his sins and turn from his wicked ways. Daniel urged the king to turn from his sinful pride and to do what is right and be kind to those who are being oppressed. Had Nebuchadnezzar done what Daniel had instructed him to do, he would have it would have averted his seven years of, of insanity. He seemingly listened to Daniel till he, in the beginning he seemingly listened to Daniel, but after 12 months, the text says after 12 months, the king, he forgot what Daniel had told him. He seemingly listened, but 12 months later, he must have thought, I'm still the man. I'm still on top. I'm still doing things my way. I'm doing what I do, how I do it, and I'm still on top. But my brothers and sisters, please don't get 
getting it twisted. God's delay in sending judgment should never be misinterpreted because God in his grace will give you plenty of space and time to repent and turn around and get back heading in the right direction. But there will always be a limit to his patience. God waited patiently in the days of Noah. He gave the people 120 years to turn from their sins, but they refused. He gave the city of Jerusalem 40 years of grace after the religious leaders crucified their Messiah, and then the Romans came and destroyed the city and the temple. Just think about how long-suffering the Lord has been with each and every one of us. Peter says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness but is long suffering to us not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance but that next verse says but the day of the Lord will and will come. God is gracious. God is generous. God is patient but please understand that God has a limit to his patience. So God graciously gave the king an entire year to heed his warning and repent of his sins, but the king refused to yield to what God had shared with him in a dream. So judgment was passed. The sentence has been executed. God simply says to Nebuchadnezzar, if you want to act insane, now live in insanity. And it was until he came to his senses when he realized and when he recognized and acknowledged that it's all about God and then his sanity returned to him and he was restored to his kingdom. He lost his mind because he thought it was all about him. And until he came to himself, till he came to his senses and acknowledged, realized, and recognized Recognize, I ain't nothing without God. Then he was restored to his kingdom. As we look at this king this morning, we can learn some very valuable lessons so we don't end up like Nebuchadnezzar, that we don't lose it all because we have lost our minds. So listen, let's look at the king's madness first of all. Let me look at the king's madness. His madness, Deacon Davis, is seen in his power, is seen in the king's power because Nebuchadnezzar, he was a very powerful king. Matter of fact, he was the greatest and most powerful of the Babylonian kings. His name is explained. It means Nebo is the protector against misfortune. He was known for his military military genius and might. He had won many military battles because he was mighty and powerful. He had this false sense of being invincible because he was mighty, because he was powerful, because he had won many military battles. He had this sense of being invincible that he couldn't be touched and nothing could penetrate him. Nebuchadnezzar was successful as an administrator. He was successful 
successful as a businessman. He was successful on the battlefield. He was successful as a king. It's not necessarily wrong to have a sense of accomplishment over something we've done well. After all, God wants us to do our very best. Matter of fact, Ecclesiastes 2 and 24 says, a man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, but he goes on to say, this too I see is from the hand of God. The problem was not appreciating the success, but the problem is taking credit for the things that had happened in his life. He act like everything that had happened in his life, it was by his own hand. But the Bible clearly states that Nebuchadnezzar was in the palace of power because Daniel chapter 4, verse 25, the most high ruling in the kingdom of man, and he give it to whomsoever he will. He enjoyed the pinnacle of success and power because God had allowed him to be in that place. It is God who gave him the kingdom. It's God who put him in that place. It's God who allowed him to be successful as an administrator, as a general on the battlefield. It was God. There is no such thing as a self-made man. Any success we enjoy in this life is a result of God's sovereign will. None of us came this far by ourselves. So here it is, without God, we would all still be lost as sinners on our way to hell. Give the Lord the glory for every accomplishment, every achievement. He is the one responsible for it all. Had it not been for the Lord opening doors, moving mountains, calming storms, we wouldn't be where we are today. You are where you are because of the Lord. Don't allow past victories, past success. Don't allow it to cause you to lose your mind thinking it was your strategic thinking. It was your physical strength, your captivating charisma, or your extensive education. You need to heed the words of Jesus, that resurrected redeemer, who said, without me, you can do nothing. He had this false sense of being invincible. His madness is seen in his power, but his madness is also seen in his pride. It's seen in his pride. Pride, you know pride. Pride, the cousin to arrogance, conceit, and self-importance. You know pride, something we all wrestle with or have wrestled with at one time or another. Don't look at me strange like you have never wrestled with pride at one time or another. Listen, I was reading this article and I came across this children's song film by Eli Ferguson and Jeremy Spencer called Two Ducks and a Frog. It's a children's song. They lived happily together in a farm pond, the best of the friends. They played together in the water. And when the hot summer days came, the pond began to dry up. The ducks, they had wings. They could fly away. But they said, we don't want to leave our friend here, so what can we do? The other ducks said, let's get a stick, place it in our 
bills, and then we can let the frog put his mouth on the stick, and we'll fly away and take and move to another place. This was no problem for the ducks. They could fly, but the ducks didn't want to leave the frog. They came up, the ducks came up with an idea to carry the frog with them. So they're flying across the meadow, and a farmer looks up, and he says, I must tip my hat to those ducks and that frog. He said, what a great idea. What a great idea. I wonder who came up with this great idea and the frog, he was unable to resist temptation and he began to swell up with pride and he opened his mouth and he said, I did. And as soon as he opened his mouth, yeah, you know what happened. He fell to the ground. Pride, it becomes a sin when it turns into arrogance and self-centeredness when pride controls our lives and we went end up thinking we are better than anyone else. Prideful People also have little love or compassion for others and are only interested in themselves. Most of all, prideful people have little need for God, believing everything that has happened in their lives, it was by their own power, their intellect, or their ingenuity. That's exactly what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He was ex exercising arrogance when he should have been exemplifying appreciation. Just as that frog, Nebuchadnezzar, should have kept his mouth quiet. He opened his mouth. He, As he walked in the palace, maybe he had just come in off of the balcony and looking out over Babylon and seeing how beautiful it was. And he thought to himself, I must be somebody. Maybe he had just made it back in from riding through the city and looking at the commerce and walked in the palace and started looking at his capital, looking at his cash, looking at his clothes, looking at his crown and began to swell up in pride and say oh, look at what I have done by my might and for my glory and for my honor and I did it all by myself. That's a dangerous place to be, thinking you did it all by yourself. Proverbs 16 and 18 says, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. But I like the way Eugene Peterson puts it in the Message Bible. Peterson says, first pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. When you want the focus to be on you, bringing glory to yourself, you take glory from God. And one thing God is not in the business of doing is sharing his glory. It was pride that caused that beautiful creature, Lucifer, to be transformed into the devil because of pride. He said, I'm going to lift myself above the most high. I'm going to set my throne among the stars. I'm going to be higher than God. In other words, he wanted the attention to be on him. He wanted to take glory from God. But my brothers and sisters, we've got to be careful with this thing called pride. 
pride because pride, listen to what the writer says here in Peter 5 and 5. First Peter, he says, he says, listen, clothe yourself with humility because God resists the proud. That word resist is a strong word because it means God opposes the proud. He sets himself against the proud. God sets himself against those. He stands against all who look down on others, who feel superior to others, who are boastful, who are puffed up, who are prejudiced, who oppress other people. That beautiful creature Lucifer failed because he wanted some of God's glory and because of pride Nebuchadnezzar lost it all. He went from living in the palace to living in the field, from fine dining to eating grass like the oxen, from being well kempt to looking like a beast. And according to research, this was the problem, Kevin, right here. According to research, most of the bricks in Babylon had his name on the bricks. His name were on the bricks. I think that's what messed him up, Didi, when he was riding through the city because every time he looked and he passed by a wall or a building, he saw his name on there. But I'm reminded of a story of a fella. He was in the 12th grade. His daddy bought him a 2,000 candy apple red Mustang. It was sharp. And to let everybody know it belonged to him, he had them put put personal license plates on the car, had his name on the plates, his name was on the tags. He was the man on campus. All of the girls wanted to ride in his new 2000 candy apple red Mustang. All of the fellas, they would applaud him. They knew he was the big man on campus. Well, one night there was a school function and he wanted to go, but his dad said, nope, can't go tonight. But what happened is he decided, you know what? Everybody's going to be there. I need to roll up because I'm the man on campus and all of the girls are going to be there. So what did he do? He kind of snuck out of the house, jumped in his car. Yes, he had a good time at that school function. But when he came back home, his parents were waiting on him. They were mad. They were hot. And the first thing that his dad said was, give me the keys to my car. And the boy was looking befuddled and bewildered. He was perplexed and puzzled. And he said, what do you mean your car? That's my car. You bought the car for me. It has my name on the tags. And his daddy said, your name may be on the tags, but my name is on the title. I own it, not you. And that's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He saw his name on stuff and he thought it was his. He lost sight of ownership. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Psalm 24 and 1, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Deuteronomy 8 and 18, it is the Lord that gives you power to get the wealth. You have what you have because of the Lord. You are who you are, where you are. Drive what you drive. Live where you you live, work where you work because the Lord 
Tell your neighbor it was the Lord. Listen, it was the Lord. Listen, every valley you've come through, it was the Lord. Every mountain you've gone over, it was the Lord. Everything you've gone through and came through, it was the Lord. Every accomplishment, every advancement, every piece of property, possession, or position, had it not been for the Lord on my side. Hey, I wish I had somebody. Tell your neighbor, had it not been for the Lord on my side, maybe I wouldn't have it like I have it right now. If it had not been for the hand of God, this man, King, he's mad, he's mad, he's mad, he's mad, he's mad, he's mad. It's seen in his power, it's seen in his pride. But let me say a quick word about the king's mindfulness. Because that word mindfulness, it means to be mindful. It is to be conscious or aware of something. Careful not to forget about something. The king had forgot about something, but now he's remembering something. It's seen, first of all in his personal perspective because his perspective has changed in verse 34 it says at the end of seven years Nebuchadnezzar with his sanity restored praised the most high God and anybody in their right mind will praise the most high God the king who had sought honor and glory for himself is now acknowledging the most high lives forever the king who was conceited and self-promoting this king confess that God's dominion is eternal and that his kingdom endures forever he acknowledged God's sovereignty and authority he does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the people on the earth instead of boasting about his own accomplishments he is now boasting about how powerful and how mighty God is in chapter 3, y'all remember that he had this statue built up of himself and he wanted people to bow down and worship him and he threw Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the fiery furnace but then there was a fourth man that showed up in the furnace and they came out and were not burnt, didn't even smell like smoke and he got somewhat religious at the end of that when they came out of the furnace he got somewhat religious because it happened to them, but now this has happened to him, and he's not saying the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but he's saying the God, the Most High, it is though he has changed his perspective, he is no, look, no longer looking at God as the God of other people's God, but he's looking at this God now like he's his God, I wish I had somebody here. It's one thing for something to happen to somebody else, but when it happens to you, it's one thing to see somebody else crying and broken and down and life in turmoil. You can pray for them, but baby, when it knocks on your door and it comes your way, your perspective will change. It's seen not only 
in his personal perspective, but it's seen Joseph Elsie Jr. in his personal praise because now the king is reminding everyone of what the Lord has done for him. It's one thing to be able to relate what the Lord has done for others, but it's something else to say what the Lord has done for me. Tell somebody about what he's done for you. Listen, God could have destroyed the king. He could have destroyed him and his kingdom, but God had a bigger plan. He wanted to use this king as a witness and as a testimony to let the empire kingdom know what the Lord had done for him, how God had turned things around, how God gave him another chance. The text says, Nebuchadnezzar lifted up my eyes to heaven and I began to praise and extol the most high God. I began to lift up his name suggesting that Nebuchadnezzar he did this but when you look at the verbs these verbs express a continuous action. He did this habitually. He gave God respect. He admired him. He worshipped him. He praised him. Nobody is with him during this time. Nobody had to tell him to lift up toward heaven. Nobody had to remind him to give God praise. But when you've been broken, nobody ought to be able to have to remind you that you owe God some praise. When your life has been messed up and God has turned that thing around, nobody should have to beg you to open your mouth and say, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Bless your name. Nobody should have to tell you when God has been good to you to lift him up, to magnify his holy name with the Lord. Yes. Is there anybody here? Yes. When you look around and think about all he's done, the ways he's made, the doors he's opened, the doors he's closed, it ought to cause you to give God praise when I think about the goodness of the Lord and all. I said all he's done for me. Thank you. 